0: Welcome to Disaffected, I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. Do you remember all that stuff I said last week about how I'm always gonna dress formally because that's how I wanna look on the show? Well, I lied, because it is a steam oven in here in Burlington today, and I can't stand it. I wanna rip my skin off, (laughs) so this is what you get. All right, here's what we're talking about this week. What happens when you collaborate with lunatics and psychopaths to appease the woke? Whole section of audience feedback from around the Western, excuse me, Western world about the mistreatment of white people by black people and immigrants that we are not allowed to say is real, except we're going to say it today. When the right response to a situation is simply the phrase, Stop it. And like McRib, McGender is back. Remember how I told you that living in Vermont is living in Twitter in real life? I've got a story for you. Actually, it's a story from my friend Holly, and you should be reading her sub stack. It is, I think she calls it Holly's newsletter. Look up Holly Math Elf. Yes, like a little elfin thing that makes Keebler cookies. Sorry, Holly. <laughs> She's worth reading. This is a great story. This will illustrate for you what I'm talking about, and you'll know that it's not just me. There's no... (laughs) There's no real world that I can access if I just don't be online so much and go into the real world. Get all of that out of your system. That real world is Twitter. (laughs) You're in Vermont. so. Listen to the story, Holly says. So I think you all know that I pay a teenage neighbor to run errands for me. It saves my shoulder from the work. She has a shoulder injury. She's a competitive athlete with a great track record and she's like a house husband. She shovels my car out, she does laundry and runs errands. So I have this in-house washer thing that I can use in the bathtub, but it's annoying and lifting it is hard on my shoulder. Still, if I need it, I have it in a couple of drying racks. But for a while, I've been paying her to do the laundry at her parents' house. It's great. She picks it up when she's here to get the trash or bring me my prescriptions or whatever. and brings it back to me the next day. Well, she starts college in a couple of weeks and her family went on this extended, our last hurrah as a cohesive family unit kind of trip. She is the firstborn, and this is the start of leaving the nest for this household. So I got a replacement on Front Porch Forum. I don't know if you all have that in your area, but it's a bulletin board that is what it sounds like. The whole state is split into neighborhoods, and you can discuss local issues, sell things, find someone to do odd jobs, recommend plumbers, etc. So just for a month, Holly gets a replacement. It's an older woman with short gray hair. So far, all of our interactions have been perfectly pleasant. She complimented my Halloween decorations and the smell of what I had cooking. I interviewed her by talking to her for 10 minutes about her grown kids who've started having their own kids and how she watches her grandson a few days a week. Everything was fine until the first laundry. You see, even though I'm not going to vote, I bought a t-shirt from the Vermont Republican Party. There's a city called Brandon, Vermont. So in a bit of clever branding when let's go Brandon became a phrase they brought out some merchandise for the Vermont GOP for this. I bought one. I needed a new long sleeve shirt and it's funny. She noticed it in the laundry. She finished it to her credit but she just brought the clean laundry over. And she told me she's not going to be doing anything for me ever again because I support the party of, quote, Trumpist fascists. I just stared at her, trying very hard not to laugh. Then I said, okay, well, thank you for bringing the laundry over. Have a good day. She goes all huffy and says, you don't have anything to say for yourself? And I said, not to you, no. Then I pointed down the stairs and said, you can see yourself out. (laughs) Ah, perfect. That, my friends, was a lesson in short and sweet boundary setting. No discussion, no justification, no taking the bait. No, just no. And good day. (laughs) <laughs> that's what it's like here you guys this really is what it's like that kind of interaction that's not rare here this is one of the reasons why I actively avoid people why even more than my normal baseline and I'm kind of a recluse and a hermit I am actively trying to make fewer and fewer trips outside of my house to get t- because I don't want to talk to anybody This kind of thing happens all the time. All right. (laughs) Mcgender. You know, somebody asked me on social media the other day what a Mcgender was. And I wanted to be all snotty and be like, why are you so stupid? Mcgender. Think. Chicken Mick nuggets. You know, it's a Mick thing. It's air sats. It's prepackaged. It's silly. It's not really real. This week's (laughs) Mick gender. (laughs) Well, maybe I got the pronoun right or the courtesy title. Um, this week's Mick gender comes to us from a Reddit forum called Xenogenders and more. You know, it's like, Carpeteria, welcome. See no genders, as in alien. (laughs) Title, I need some help. Like the title says, gender has been kinda hard. It's time for the voice. Like the title says, gender has been kinda hard lately especially with me being part of a traumatic osdd 1b system okay i have to break into the quote here i'm gonna have to do this a couple of times because it's not in english it's in xeno language a system is their new name these people who claim to have multiple personalities all inside one brain they're part of a system so they've got all sorts of acronyms for it now. I, yes, it's brand new lingo. It just came up in the past couple of years. Back to the quote. She's part, so they is part of this system. Currently, I identify as a trans male, intersex, annullian person. Again, breaking in. Do you know what that means? Annullian? a nullified gender. As in castrato. I have no idea whether it's real castration or not, but yes, this is a gender for them, being genital less. So a male, entire sex, annulian person who uses it, z, he, bun, fawn, son. But I have a feeling, I have more genders and pronouns I fit into. I feel connected to wolves. Ravens, crows, horror, blood, nature, cats, space, deities, angels, demons, and crystals. Any help would be lovely. (laughs) Preferably genders more leaning toward mask neutral energies, but I'll accept anything to be honest. Sorry if I word anything weird. (laughs) <laughs> it's a little late for sorry, sweetheart. Xenogenders and more. <laughs> we need to write the jingle for that. So as I said, the system is their new word. It's, it's the new word to describe what they call dissociative identity disorder or DID, which itself is the new name for multiple personality disorder, which is itself the new name for what we used to call split personality Now I want you to notice something. Notice that each iteration, each new name, is more euphemistic and less likely to immediately tell you what it's about. That is the progression of the euphemism treadmill. Compare this to cluster B. So today we call personality disorders, which have absolutely nothing to do with this xenogender, I'm sure, Um, today we call we call them personality disorders, We uh, cluster B personality disorders. But here's the euphemism treadmill from the beginning when this started to be talked about in the Western medical and psychological literature beginning in the 19th century. We started with moral insanity, then we went to character disorders, now we're at personality disorders. So you see, with each step we get a little bit less raw, a little bit less clear, and a little more medical, and a little more vague. That's the purpose of these euphemisms. That's why I object to them as much as I do. The big ones and the small ones. I just object to it. It's about obfuscating the truth. So yes, um, Bun Fon Self, you need some help. Big help. Because none of the things that you think about yourself are real. Not a single one of them. Now... Cast your mind back to the old days when comedy was legal. Remember that in those days, occasionally at least Saturday Night Live was funny. Mad TV was allowed to be on the air. We had shows like In Living Color, which were all fantastic sketch comedy shows. Mad TV and In Living Color, particularly, Saturday Night Live has been has always been hit or miss. Some seasons are better than others. Now it's, of course, terrible. But do you remember the old comedy sketch? on Mad TV with Bob Newhart. He plays a shrink, a psychiatrist in a sketch, and the woman client, the patient who comes in is played by comedian Mo Gaffney. There's a picture of it on your screen here. It's the one where he says, just stop it. (laughs) So the conceit of this sketch is Mo comes in, Mo Gaffney comes in as the patient and she says, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. She goes on and explains some of her morbid ruminations and rituals that she does to appease this fear. And Bob Newhart's just sitting there. And when it's his turn to respond, he says, stop it. That's it. Just stop it. He doesn't indulge it. He doesn't pretend that it's a complicated problem or that there's a magical secret technique that's going to take him many sessions to teach his patient. He just says, stop it. This sketch worked so well for a couple of reasons. It arrests us first because it's, it's so mean. That's not what therapists are supposed to do. That's not very supportive, right? Right? It's mean, it's not nice. Therapists are supposed to validate you, aren't they? No, no, the answer is no, they're not supposed to validate you. If you think that, you're wrong. But part of us recognizes the truth underneath this sketch. Part of us knows it's true, and that's another reason why it stands the test of time. Think about the ways in which being what we call kind and going along with someone's nonsense is, is literally validating a delusion that people have or a misbehavior. It allows these delusions and these misbehaviors to fester, to grow, and in some cases to calcify into something permanent in someone. I wrote two pieces on the disaffected substack this week with the theme of stop it, and I want to share them with you. I don't even remember the URL, just look up Disaffected Podcast Substack. I can't remember if it's disaffected.substack.com or whatever, just use your search engine. Here's the first one. Stop this, and then I give you a list. Stop saying, number one, we just need a third space for gender non-conforming people, or we just need a different additional bathroom for them at the expense of whatever company or government owns the building. Or, we just need to create a third sports team at the expense of whatever college, university, or private club is hosting the sports team. No. No, we don't need to do any of this. No. We don't need to do any of that, and we never needed to do any of that does that sound a little shocking a little confrontational well it was never a moral obligation on the part of businesses governments passers-by on the street to accommodate someone else's delusions that was never part of the moral social contract be these delusions gender or the glass delusion, and if you don't know what that is, look it up, a malady of the idle rich between the 15th and 17th century in Europe. It's, it is exactly what it says. A psychiatric delusion that the sufferer is literally made of glass and cannot move or he will break into a million pieces. Remember how I said idle rich? Compared to today, who has a lot of genders and who doesn't? Is it poor people? Or is it middle class people? Is it the comfortable? So we've never had to accommodate these delusions as as a moral obligation. We've never had to flatter somebody saying that he was Napoleon Bonaparte or Jesus Christ himself. Yes, I meant to make that comparison. Yes, I am saying that claiming that you are the opposite sex is exactly as deranged as claiming that you are Jesus Christ, affirmative. This was never a moral obligation on people or society and the idea of kindness never required this kind of absurd accommodation. Worse, the well-intended efforts to be inclusive are costing you and other people money, excessive emotional, emotional servicing and propping up of other people including complete strangers, and they're propping up the supremacy Of these delusions, particularly the trans delusion. So stop it. No. No third spaces. We're not going to do that. No extra teams. We're not going to do that either. Stop suggesting it. These people will not use them anyway. They don't want them. Even when they claim they want them, they're not being truthful. They are lying to you. They're lying to you when they tell you that they have safety fears. That is not true. Even if some of these people, a few of them, do have some sort of safety fear around using a bathroom, that's their problem, and it is a problem. It's not normal, it's a problem. It still does not create an obligation on us to indulge them, even if they genuinely are fearful. We still don't have to, and we haven't broken the moral contract. The truth is that for most of these people, their goal is to compromise any and all barriers and boundaries. The goal is to take from you, to take your privacy, your modesty, your safety, or your mental equilibrium. That's the goal. In a word, domination. So stop it. Stop being kind. It isn't kindness. It's collaboration. And I got one more, and to be fair, this is me telling myself, stop it. <clears throat> this one might actually be a little useful to you if you have a phobia. Ten years ago, I pulled over after crossing the Tappan Zee Bridge and took a clonopin and cried for 20 minutes until the drugs started working. If you don't know why, take a minute right now and look up an image of the Tappan Zee bridge, whether it's the old Tappan Zee that was destroyed or the new one that's been put in its place. Take a look. Maybe you looked and you still don't get why crossing that bridge would put me into a state of hysteria. And if so, that's a good thing. I'm glad that this doesn't afflict you. But some of you know what a strong fear of heights really feels like. By the time I was almost across that nightmarish three-mile see through to the water far below bridge, I could only see in tunnel vision and I almost passed out from fear. It was one of the worst times I've ever had with my phobia of heights. And that that fear of heights has worsened with age. What I could manage at 27 became pretty much undoable by 35. I've missed flights because the only way onto the airport concourse was an open staircase suspended multiple stories in the air with no walls on either side, only to open onto a platform surrounded by barriers that are made of glass so that you can see all three or four stories down and feel like you've got nothing separating you from a a fall into the abyss. Architects are sadists. Or at the very least, they're completely (laughs) unbothered by the fact that some people are terrified to walk around very high, narrow little corridors, over suspended platforms as if we were professional tightrope artists. I find the following things impossible. Taking escalators that don't have any walls on either side. You know, the, the open-air kind that's suspended multiple stories and it just goes up there, there's no wall or anything. Same thing with staircases like that. Can't deal with glass elevators. That's another example of sadism on the part of architects. Atrium hotels where all the rooms on every floor are on a balcony that they call a corridor or a hallway, and where there is no visual escape. No matter where you go, you cannot visually escape the fact that you are suspended six, seven, eight, nine, ten stories up and you can see all the way down. I can't do it. And worst of all, are automotive bridges of any appreciable height. The higher, the more see-through, like these lattice guardrails that don't prevent you from seeing. I can't can't take them. But there is one bridge that I've conquered. And if you can, I'd like you to find your version of my bridge and see if you can conquer it, too. The Crown Point Bridge is a suspension bridge over the lake that divides Vermont and New York State. And as such bridges go, it's a small one. But it does have, in miniature version, the features that drive my nervous system to DEFCON 1. It rises to a visible peak in the middle, high up. And, and uh, you know, it appears from the base, like many of these bridges, to stretch into infinity, just higher and higher and higher. It's way too see-through. The guardrails aren't even solid. But I won't let this bridge defeat me because if I do, it means I'm not just allowing my phobia to stay as bad as it is. I would actually be letting it get worse. So I've drawn the line at the Crown Point Bridge. I won't allow myself to pick a route around it. I won't allow myself to avoid it. And this takes more willpower than you might imagine, especially if you can't intuit what it's like to have a severe phobia of heights. But I was right to draw this line, and I proved that to myself last week. Not only has my phobia not worsened, but my fear of the Crown Point Bridge is significantly lower than it was even two years ago. So here's what I do. I'm going to tell you the embarrassing childlike games that I play with myself to keep myself calm when I do this. Find some of your own. Yeah, these are baby steps, and they're babyish little techniques, but babies have to learn to walk before they can run. So that's what we're doing, baby steps. Number one, I remind myself, and I do this, and if I need to, I speak this out loud the way I'm talking to you right now, to myself. I remind myself that no matter what my mind says, I'm not actually in any danger on this bridge. Number two, I will be over this bridge in 45 seconds, that's all I have to bear. 45 seconds. Then I use distraction techniques if I need to. <clears throat> and mine is, is singing um, descending arpeggios as I go over the bridge. So ah, 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 right? And then down each note of the scale, it has to go down, you know, so that I feel like I'm being pulled down to the ground by gravity. Told you it's a psychological baby trick. And finally I give myself direct and very stern reminders that I need to hold my composure. So I say something like, there is no danger here, Josh. You have a choice about whether to panic. Choose not to panic. This is a choice. There's no outside force that's making you feel any way. This is your decision, so make a better decision. Well, this past week I had to go over the bridge and I discovered a couple of things. Uh, One was a technique refinement. I used to sit in the parking lot at the base of this bridge and wait for every car to go by so that I wouldn't be stuck behind motorists that toodle along at 30 miles an hour. And I hate them. I'm sitting here right now. I wanna break my pen and half. I hate them so much. You know how much I hate them? I roll my car windows up and I scream obscenities at them as they go by. Put, 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 put. Stop making everybody else go slow and take three times as long to go over the bridge. Stop doing that. <sighs> I don't let myself do this anymore. I don't let myself wait at the base of the bridge. I do not allow myself to pull over. I have to go directly from the highway onto the bridge, no stopping, no matter what, no matter how many cars are in front of me. Pulling over and waiting turned out to be actually anxiety inducing, I was making myself afraid. I was psyching myself up to have a panic attack to go over this bridge. So the result, when I returned back over the bridge a few days later, my anxiety didn't go past one on a one to 10 scale. And usually when I go over a bridge like this, it's going at five or six and it peaks up in the red around nine or 10 a few times. Didn't go over one and I didn't even sing arpeggios. So. What's your bridge and what are you gonna do about it? See you after the break. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com disaffected or visit subscribestar.com disaffected. Just give me my change, bitch. I ain't got time for this. I ain't got time for it. I ain't got time. Honey, oh. I done have better better people. Thank me a river. Have Thank you. Day. Well, bitch, throw my money. Throw my money, honey. Hand me my goddamn money in my hand. I didn't throw it to you. Oh. Hand me my money. Oh. Hand me my money in my hand, bitch. You don't throw no money in me. Hand. Oh. hand me my oh. money. Oh. I oh. didn't throw oh. it at you. Don't oh. throw it at me. Don't throw it at me. Don't throw it at me, bitch. Get out. Have a oh, that's assault. Okay, so for those of you just listening, that was an interaction between a cashier and a woman. And the the customer, the woman, was harassing the cashier. And did you notice that she, the customer complaining, she is the one who threw the money at the cashier. Did you see that? She raised her hand to strike her. Did you notice that? And then she threw the cash at the cashier and immediately started saying, hand me my goddamn money. Hand me my money, bitch. You gonna hand me my money. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> <laughs> it's my mother. It's, it's slapping her child, shaking her child while she says, why are you doing this to me? This is a good example of projective identification, which I've mentioned before and will mention again. That is a fancy way of saying you engineer a conflict with another person so that you can take the monstrous feelings inside of you, the nasty feelings, the, the anger... You project it onto the other person. It can't be inside you. It has to be that it's her. And then you engineer a situation in which she or whoever your victim is, is provoked into acting out or objecting. So then you have justified your projection. And you say, see, he or she really was the monster. I said they were. That's projective identification. It's a kind of reversal, um, and you see it a lot. You see it a lot in people who behave in cluster B ways. I'm going to spend some time talking about, well reading your comments, last week we talked about bad behavior being socially acceptable when the person is a black American, the mistreatment, the attitude, the confrontational belligerent attitude that has become much more common in interactions in America between black Americans and white Americans. And I'm saying the word American uh, as a reminder that I'm not talking about black people. I'm not talking about people with dark skin. This is not about skin color. This is about black Americans um, that I was talking about, not, not people from somewhere else who might have black skin. So this is actually about culture. It is not even a little bit about race. But many of you wrote in, and of all the things I've asked you to talk about uh, or to give me feedback about on the show, this is the one that got more feedback than anything else. I asked you if you had experiences like this, and mostly I heard from Americans, but I also heard from some people in other parts of the world. Here we go. This is from Laura. She says, I was in Michigan this weekend and lost a set of keys. I asked the two workers at the hotel desk if anyone had turned some in. The first one didn't even look at me and said, no. He looked through a drawer and then said, no again. The second one said, what about these in the office? And the first one said, those are mine. Neither one of them looked at me or even asked for my information in case someone would ask later. The most friendly hotel staffer was white. The brand new hotel was in a sketchy area but at my local grocery store in a nice area in Wisconsin, we go Saturday because our favorite staffer there is on self-checkout. Honest John says, it's very similar in Britain. And it's not because of white racism or a slavery legacy, it's because of gangsta culture and establishing and establishment and chattering class worship in excusal of black street gangsta culture. And aggression. Now, well, does sound like the UK's rather like the US. This is from Pam. Quote. Oh, let's see. And it, this one is interesting because it's 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 an example of the opposite, and it illustrates the point that this is not about black skin; it's about culture. Pam says, "I live so rurally that I'm a stereotype." I'm a farmer and a cattle rancher. The 2020 census shows 5,900 people in my county. We have 0.9% black population here. Our tire repair is a black guy. Our tire repair guy is a black man. He's out on everyone's farms repairing tractors and other farm equipment. He voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020. There's no difference between him and the white or Hispanic residents. He states that he can't stand Biden and will never move back to a city because he enjoys rural life. So again, culture, not skin color. This is from Melinda Melissa. Hi, Melinda Melissa. Josh, I love you but you need to come down south. I'm a lot older than you and it's been that way since I can remember. We are conditioned from birth to accept it so much that it's part of the fabric of life here. I'm sorry you were disrespected so harshly though. This is interesting because I've had different feedback from people in the South. Some people in the South say they've never seen behavior like this, black or white, or they rarely see it. Many of the Southerners who watch my show asked or speculated if what I was talking about last week was a Northern thing. But some Southerners say that they have uh, experienced this, and Melinda says she's experienced it for a long time. This is from the Flaming Bison. Nice name. Quote, it's sad to admit, but my wife and I actively have to think about going into places or purchasing things if there are multiple black people at the register. Multiple experiences with black people that have ended so incredibly poorly, and we both used to be democratic, lesbian, bleeding heart liberals. It's become not worth the trouble to go out oftentimes. End quote. Thank you for saying that, and 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 thank you for saying that. You have both been bleeding heart, democratic, lesbian, liberals. It actually does make me feel better because it's going to be really easy for people to look at this and say this. The cis white man is a racist. Well, I guess I guess the rest of us are, too. <laughs> this is from I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing your name right. Sia loves. I don't know how to pronounce the first name S don't know if it's Shia. I don't know if it's Sia. I don't know if it's bespoke for each person who has that name. Somebody will let me know in the comments. She says, black american here these sorts of people often hate their fellow black people too totally misplaced anger from their lives not going well agreed jose dubois tells us when driving back from school one time a black driver tried to illegally pass me and we when we were stuck at a red light they got out of their car and i think i would have assaulted i think i would have assaulted the car and I'm sorry, uh, there's some typos here. I'm going to clarify. I think they would have assaulted the car and me if the car was unlocked. Another time, a black woman was honking at my dad as we were in a parking spot, and they were blocking us in the spot. So they wanted us to leave, but would give us no way to get out, and just honked incessantly. Brenda Darling writes... <laughs> I hope you never have the pleasure of meeting the poor marginalized gypsies or travelers in the UK. Oh, I love this. You know, I don't know anything except the bits and pieces that I read in media stories, usually in The Guardian, about the people that were not allowed to call gypsies and that then we were required to call the Roma. And increasingly now are culturally required to call travelers. Isn't that cute? Notice that? Remember I was talking about the euphemism treadmill, how each iteration of the euphemism gets less and less tied to the original concept because the point is to, to take your mind away from it to make you forget what you know. This is, go, you know, gypsy, Roma, traveler. They're just traveling, they travel. This interests me because I have suspected and Again, I don't know if it's true just because one person said it, but I've suspected that all of the carping that I see in places like The Guardian about the oppressed Roma uh, that, that we're not allowed to call gypsies and and how, how terrible and bad everybody is to them is exaggerated and that there probably is a culture among these people of um, sleight of hand, shall we say. So doesn't surprise me. This is from Melanie W. Josh, I could write pages of stories for you, giving you info like what was covered in the first half of your show. I'm from Savannah, Georgia, and it's always been bad here since the 70s when I was a kid. So I imagine how it is now. Name-calling, social abuse, belittling, over-the-top, reflexive emotional behavior. It all goes completely unchecked in recent years. All the people running city government look the same as do all the people at the Social Security office, the tax office, the post office, public utilities, the Department of Motor Vehicles, and they are all absolutely giddy to treat us pale faces like gum off the bottom of their shoe. Not to mention the lies and revisionist history. They are telling tourists and northern transplants about our beautiful city. I understand completely about southern history, but believe me, there is really a lot of nuance and unexpected events that really could bring people together if the accounts were told properly. But they aren't. They are telling wild exaggerations and demonizations and then making everyone white the target for revenge. It's a sick social contagion. We got more kids. From Envision XY I am envisioning it. In Germany it's the same with Turkish and Arab Muslims, Muslim men, second or third generation in particular. The left is completely blind uh, to the Muslim aspect and it makes things worse, especially for women and homosexual men and women who live in those communities. Heard this too, the denial in Europe of the fact that if you let in immigrants who are largely young men Young, young men are aggressive, young men who are from cultures where the culture does in fact treat women like property, that you will get young men who come into your country and treat the women who live in your country like property. Oh no, that's racist. That's racist. No, it isn't. Again, culture, not skin color. Megan McCarthy says, When I first moved to New York City, I moved to a kind of rough around the edges area. I was shocked when I first heard a woman yell white bitch at me. All I was doing was walking down the street. I got called white rich bitch as well, even though I was as broke as possible. My mom and sister and I have had this conversation about hostility toward white people often. We've all experienced it. My mom was a social worker for 30 years, and she said that she got as a client the sweetest woman from Africa. This woman's kid had autism and my mom worked as a school social worker. She said it wasn't long before the woman started dressing really trashy, super tight clothing, etc., and developed a horrid attitude to go with it. Gone was the polite woman who wore the clothes of her country, and it was replaced by the whole white people are evil attitude. It's very sad. Unfortunately, we'll be getting a lot more of this hostility because moronic white progressives, specifically women, encourage it. My industry, which is publishing, has become a complete nightmare run by people with personality disorders. The people of color who are running the show have been bullying white authors left and right and even other people of color who don't toe the line. None of this strife is helping our country. Dumb news anchors need to stop encouraging it as well. Yeah, well, they never will, of course. I also want to point out too, Several black viewers and listeners popped up during the live chat of the show. They're, I don't have their comments here, but they said essentially the same thing. Uh, both that they see it, but that they also themselves have been mistreated by black people who are angry at them because they don't agree with the idea that all white people are evil. Zjen or J Zen, excuse me. I think I'm a little dyslexic and I've just never been diagnosed. Maybe I should diagnose myself since I like diagnosing so much. So... Jay Zen says, yep, some white people have told me in whispered terms how they're fed up with how black people get away with a lot merely for being black due to the white guilt of other white people. I work with all white people, me being the only minority, and black customers tend to act more aggressively and demanding toward my white colleagues. I suppose a number of black people are used to taking advantage of white guilt while white people are terrified of being accused of racism. A white colleague was hesitant to call the police. Listen to this. A white colleague was hesitant to call the police on a black guy outside who was carrying a knife and yelling aggressively because he didn't want to be accused of racism and he was afraid of police brutality. Oh, oh my God. Not the first such story I've heard like that. Doesn't surprise me. But my God. Do you need a better example of how we've been trained to ignore? Not just our intuition and our instincts, but the basic obvious things that they're so basic I can't even explain them. Like when somebody has a knife and they're waving it around and they're yelling aggressively, that that you recognize that's a danger. And, And we're so culturally trained that... People don't call the police because they're afraid that the guy who's about to stab somebody will be roughly mistreated by the police. So they're okay with allowing him to continue and probably stab somebody. Uh, (laughs) He's so frustrating. A couple more here. This one comes from BB Gun. It's not only black Americans. I was in France three times to buy a house and in the end I didn't because of the way black Africans behaved toward me, insulting me and then making it racist on my part. At the airport I was sent back I guess turned away because my wheelie, cart, was too heavy. Then the same employee let three African women through right after me with half a house strapped to their backs this hostility has destroyed France. And this is from Ellen. Hi, Ellen. <laughs> Good story. My dad and I visited the drive through a while back. The woman interrupted my dad on the intercom with... <laughs> I'm going to do the voice. You need to wait! We sat there in silence for another 10 minutes. That's an eternity in a drive through For another ten minutes, then pulled up to the window. We figured that the intercom was broken. She opened the window up and said, I told you to wait. (laughs) My dad drove off. Good for your dad, Ellen. (laughs) You know I'm right about that voice, too. You know that I'm right. I told you to wait. ah okay coming up to the close of this segment i want to plug a podcast that i just came across and i came across it because the podcaster emailed me thank you he goes by arcadia strauss arcadia strauss on youtube i haven't listened to a lot of what he said yet so i can't give you a whole overview but he appears to be anti-woke um so he's speaking my language And he he did a two-part episode that I've listened to some of it, and I suggest you do, too. If you are looking for content podcasts that are fighting this wokeness, he reviewed 80 of them that he's found on YouTube. Uh, some of them I know, but the vast majority I'd never heard of. So there's going to be a lot of content to dig into. The episode that you want to pay attention to with him is from July 1st, 2022. Uh, and he, he reviewed Disaffected. And I thank you very much, Arcadia Strauss. And thank you for contacting me at the show. As so we close up here. I want to ask you for your support. Would you donate to Disaffected? Will you help us grow? We'd really appreciate it couple of ways to do it. If you wanna subscribe in some way, you can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or you can go to subscribestar.com slash disaffected and pop your details in and you'll be on the list. We've got blog posts that go up there too, but one of the things you get as a member is the ability to come to our hangouts we have a monthly zoom hangout that's private not recorded just for donors uh, and supporters and last week we watched the john waters film female trouble usually we do discussions but sometimes we do movie night so uh thank you very much we will see you on the other side you know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button well this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell, too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio, too. We have audio-only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com disaffected or visit subscribestar.com disaffected. Welcome back. Are you hungry for the sins of pride and idolatry, conveniently served at a church your whole family can enjoy? Well then, feast your eyes on this. Her name is Britta Filter, and she is the Queen of New York! Wait for Look at that ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> If you couldn't see that, this is a church in New York City, and I'm just going to take a guess. Um, But it's either these goddamn Unitarians or the uh, United Church of Christ, uh, because they're all completely woke. It's a church in New York City, and the camera looks sorry i wish i had my friend tasha here i always forget what the parts of the church are i know there's like a nave and a chancel and a choir and i don't know what any of that is i always forget so the camera looks back up the aisle between the pews and this this queen comes marching in <clears throat> swinging his hips back and forth full drag uh you know treating treating the aisle as a catwalk you know as a modeling catwalk and then gets up Listen to me. Gets up near the altar. I was going to say, gets up on the stage, because the altar has become a stage, has it not? And then launches into a routine, and the clip stops. D- did you see this crowd? Did you, did you look at all these, these people in church, all these liberals? First of all, did you notice how badly dressed they were? I'm looking at them again right now. Maybe it's turned Turn around. Well, I mean, look at this guy introducing his rainbow shirt and his sloppy appearance. Nobody's dressed for church. They're all dressed for me. And look at all the masks. Did you see the masks? (laughs) Now, I'm not a churchgoer, as you know. Isn't church supposed to be about glorifying God, not the self? I think I'm right about that. Where's the glorification of God or the divine, the holy, or if you prefer, that which binds us all together as humans that we come together once a week and try to share in with each other? I don't see any of it. I see pride and idolatry. I think that's idolatry. I think that's what's going on in these churches. I think that they are making themselves God. It's worship of the self. It's narcissism. You know, Jordan Peterson asks, do you remember that pride is supposed to be a sin? Boy, people got angry when he asked that. Boy, did they get angry, especially gay people. Yeah, pride is supposed to be a sin. Maybe we have a word for the state of mind where a person is appropriately aware of his or her talents and accomplishments and takes reasonable, proportionate pleasure in having done them. I don't know what the best word is for that but I don't think pride is exactly the right word. Pride has been turned into a different word over the past 40 years largely because of the gay pride movement and while I understand its roots I think and I don't think anybody necessarily could have known this at the beginning but I think it was a mistake. I think that word and the concept itself was a mistake because it isn't pride that's being celebrated it is in fact narcissism excessive pride. More on drag queens. I have a Facebook friend named Chris Waits. He's very funny. And he's a really good writer. And I'm going to read a post of his. And I, I feel bad calling it a post. Because Chris doesn't make Facebook posts. Chris writes essays. And comic bits. He's a comic. And he's an essayist. He's not a Facebook poster. So here's what he wrote recently. I don't care how clean a drag queen's act is. It's not appropriate for children. The reason I say this is because the, the drag queen does his act in a nightclub. Unless his character is literally Sally the Clown, and he's a full clown with clown makeup and a beard, but dressed as a woman, and the entire joke is, look how silly this obviously male clown who is dressed as a woman is, their act, if it's not that, is a nightclub act for adults. You guys know me. I wouldn't call myself an especially dirty comic. I have some dick jokes, but not a lot. Do more, Chris. I just like to throw them in occasionally for shock value, like a rap rapscallion, <laughs> as if to say, oh, yes, I went there, winky face. <laughs> but I could easily remove them and take out the swear words and have a clean set. You know... You know who I wouldn't want performing in front of kids? Me. My comedy is meant for adults. Even if you removed all the rated R content, it's still written with the assumption that you are a grown-up. My comedy would still be labeled adult situations. Good band name. I was watching a clean comic special in front of my daughter when she was eight, thinking, he's clean, shouldn't be a big deal. And his first joke was, quote, so I'm out on a date with this lady and she's crazy. You guys know what it's like. And don't get me wrong, ladies. I hear your stories about crazy men. We will get to them later. Did I do the voice right, Chris? I think I did. <laughs> and within, within moments, I felt uncomfortable watching it in front of my child. Strictly speaking, the comic wasn't saying anything bad. But there's no reason for an eight-year-old to listen to the peculiarities of dating. It's like when I was a kid and the 8 o'clock sitcoms came on and I sat and watched them and laughed a couple of times. But half the episode was absolutely over my head. And at least once an episode there was something that outright made me uncomfortable and I didn't even know why. And sometimes grown-ups kissed. Who wants to see grown-ups kissing? (laughs) It's not that I think drag queens are automatically degenerates or pedophiles or even automatically rated R. It's that it's an act for a nightclub the assumption is that it's it's for grown-ups and RuPaul's Drag Queen excuse me RuPaul's Drag Race is an eight o'clock show I'm not saying anyone should be arrested for letting their children see it just like nobody would judge you if you turned on a Jim Gaffigan special in front of your eight-year-old but everyone knows eight o'clock is when the sitcoms made for grown-ups come on and nine o'clock is when the murder shows start. <laughs> I don't care how clean a drag act is. It's not appropriate for kids. Amen, Chris. Amen. And and especially that last part. The, um, <sighs> the fact that it doesn't have to be outright dirty perversion to be inappropriate for kids is is a really good point but i when i think about when i think about the kind of drag that used to well that used to be popular and i'm going back at least 30 years here but even though even though yes drag has always been body, it's always been risque there there was more variety and the level of body and risque was lower substantially than what we see, to- because what we see today is, is literal degeneracy. It's outright blatant perversion. You know, you've got, I, I saw a clip the other day from one of the Pride festivals with a queen. It was so strange. This guy had put a lot of money and a lot of time into his costume, his wig, and his makeup. One of my complaints... This is just an aesthetic and cultural complaint. One of my complaints about modern drag queens is how cheap they look, how cheap and last-minute they look. Um, very little attention paid. I and I understand the aesthetic has shifted. We're no longer going for what used to be called realness. We're not trying to actually give the impression of a female. It's it's beyond caricature at this point. But they don't even take they don't even take the time to do what used to be considered the basics, like Okay, so I'm going to tell you how to do a drag wig in case you need this. Here's what you do. First of all, you go to, um, well, first of all, you live in New York City. Secondly, you live in Chelsea. Third, you go down to the village, you go to Patty Fields, you go to Patricia Fields Boutique. I don't know if it's still there. Or, Or you go to some equivalent. And you go down there because that's where you get your human hair wigs for cheap. And as my roommate from college, Jaquetta, used to say, I bless and thank my Asian sisters for their help. (laughs) Because it's all Asian hair. (laughs) So you get your human hair wig, but for cheap. And you get your human hair wig because you can actually do human hair things with it. Wash it, set it, put a curling iron in it, all that stuff. You get your wig to match your hair color. Then you take your wig and you put it just behind your hairline, assuming you have a hairline. I understand that some of you don't. Well, you know lace front, may I suggest Mr. Ray's wig world. You put it behind your hairline and then you blend your own hair into the wig. And it's an astonishing illusion if you do it well, it looks like it's growing right out of your head. They don't even do that. So now you know how to do a drag wig. You're welcome, I guess. All right, a little more serious for this part. I have titled this the human cost of collaboration This story, this story is disturbing. It is from American Greatness and it's written by a science fiction writer named Blaine Pardo, who I hadn't heard of until I read this. If you're interested in the article, it was published July 29th, 2022. Here's an image of the headline. My publisher canceled me in favor of an activist who threatened my life. When corporate cowardice in the face of a minority of left-wing woke whiners alienates conservative fans, The fans need to speak with their money and remind publishers who they really answer to. I'm going to share some of this story with you. Quote. For those that don't know me, I'm an award-winning, best-selling author in numerous genres. I've been a speaker at the U.S. Naval Academy, the National Archives, and the Smithsonian on the subjects I write about. After 37 years of writing for the series, he's referring to one of the science fiction book series he's written for, I found myself canceled for voicing my conservative beliefs. So in early 2021, two random people complained to this guy's publisher that there were what they called hidden Confederate messages in his stories. And for you non-American people, Confederate refers to um, the South when the South split away from the Union during the Civil War, the Confederacy. His, uh, this guy's publisher, one of his publishers, Catalyst Game Labs, said it didn't matter what his political beliefs were in novels that they didn't publish. So they were saying, you know, oh, we're not going to take this seriously. You know, you can write anything you want. It's not in our novels. They looked at his, did his Catalyst Game Labs, looked at his social media as well and said nothing was wrong with that either. Now, they shouldn't have done that. That, that's, pro- I mean, you can see that's, that's foreshadowing. <laughs> if this were a movie, that would have been the indicator that Catalyst Game Labs was going to turn out to be one of the villains. No, your employer, I know there are exceptions. Supply your own not alls, supply your own exceptions. Assume that I understand they're real too. I won't list them for you. Barring those obsep- exceptions, employers should not be checking out your social media. I've had this done to me. You checking me out now, folks? (laughs) Nobody should be vetting your social media from your employer. That's not normal. And just just to toss it off so, so lightly, so blithely, I think shows how we've been trained to accept things as normal that we really shouldn't accept as normal. Um, they don't have any business investigating. Nobody has any business investigating your your social media for wrong politique. <clears throat> More of the story. Quote. They, one of his publishers, offered one of the protesters, the, guy pro- uh, the guys protesting this guy, an opportunity to publish a short story in hopes of appeasing him. I warned the company that the man was an online stalker who had been harassing me for nearly two years. Later, law enforcement would discover that this man was using a false online persona, that of a self-proclaimed lesbian nurse who was adopting two children. Catalyst Game Labs ignored my warnings. Notice the camouflage that this stalker uses. Wonder why? What's he got going for him? He's a lady, first of all, that's step one. I'm a lady, so I'm not a threat, deliberate. Step two, I'm a lesbian, even less of a threat. I'm a lady lesbian. You see why they do this, right? Then I'm a nurse. I'm a lady, I'm a lesbian, and I'm a nurse even less threatening. I hope this is as obvious to everyone listening as it is to me. And the kicker? And I'm an adoptive mother. (laughs) Yeah, so was Joan Crawford. So is Madonna. Lady lesbian nurse mommy. Oh, I bet she's really nice. Back to the story what no not back to the story (laughs) you never appease these people never never appease these people not even a little bit not even linguistically that that is always a mistake they will never be satisfied what you think you're offering as you think you know what i'll give up a little bit i don't think they, they have a legitimate complaint but I'll let them think that I think they do, and I'll give them a little space because then they'll be satisfied and go away. If you believe this, you are thinking like a normal range person with a normal personality structure and a normal stable mood. You are not dealing with people who are normal like you. You are dealing with severely psychiatrically disturbed people. You're dealing with people today who Fifty years ago, many of these people would have been in Bellevue Hospital. Yes, I'm not being, I'm not making a funny, I'm saying that seriously because it's true. Many of these people would have been psychiatrically institutionalized correctly in another era. You're not dealing with normal people, don't appease them. Quote, in March 2021, my first conservative political thriller, Blue Dawn, was announced with a different publisher, defiance press. My stalker contacted a fellow writer with the following directed at me quote I want to fucking shoot him in the fucking crotch for this shit and I want him to die in a fire. The police got involved and after an investigation a judge put a protective order in place because of multiple threats. In reality Remember, lady, lesbian, nurse, mommy. In reality, my harasser was a 39-year-old man living with his parents. He had been fired by his previous employer for issuing terroristic threats. He was charged and pleaded guilty. The man was a convicted criminal. I moved on. To coincide with the release of Blue Dawn, I wrote articles for conservative websites such as the American Thinker, PJ Media, town hall, american greatness and others. I made it clear to Catalyst that is Catalyst Game Labs. I made it clear to Catalyst executives that I would mention my stalker in some of these articles as an example of woke extremism. Catalyst president replied, I would do the same thing if I were you. <clears throat> After this, a whole bunch of other people started protesting and and smear campaigning uh, Mr. Pardo online and they complained to three other publishing companies that he'd worked with uh, as part of this smear campaign, this online smear campaign. Quote, the smear campaign was led by the man who had threatened my life. I was told that the fanatics asked my publisher to make this go away. My publisher's, excuse me, my publisher's solution was to inform me that he would no longer publish my work. <laughs> well, naturally. So then Mr. Pardo asked his publisher if they had verified that this campaign wasn't just a bunch of sock puppet accounts created by his stalker, wasn't an astroturf campaign had they had they actually determined that a number of different individual people of any significant size were interested in protesting him they said that is the publisher said that didn't matter they also said it didn't matter if the author's quotes his quotes were taken out of context none of that mattered quote i asked how other catalyst contract authors and artists voiced radical progressive opinion no excuse me let me start again I botched this quote I noted how other catalyst contract authors and artists voiced radical progressive opinions far more offensive than anything I had ever posted my publisher indicated he would look at some of them conservatives tend not to complain while the left sees offenses everywhere correct correct final quote here. He, the publisher, informed me that my beliefs were alienating half his customers. I pointed out that sales and ratings for my latest novel were on par with previous works. He then told me sales didn't matter. End quote. This is what I'm talking about when I say I don't believe that money is the great motivator that most people believe that it is. I do do believe it is a great motivator. It is one of the great motivators, but I do not believe it is the supreme motivator. I believe that something in the neighborhood of narcissistic gratification is an even stronger seducer than money is. I talked about this last week, that companies are literally willing to put their bottom line, the profit they make, the very reason they are incorporated as companies, they're willing to put that second to servicing these narcissists, to being seen as woke, to being seen as good. And they'll do it even if they have shareholders. That's what Twitter's doing. The shareholders don't seem to mind. Now, money is not the greatest motivator. Something psychological is. These publishers that Mr. Pardot has been mistreated by. They didn't merely let him down. They did let him down, but they didn't merely let him down, That it's not the biggest of their sins. They actively cooperated with a likely terroristic psychopath who had already been convicted in a criminal court of making terrorist threats, of threatening this man's life. They cooperated with a the psychopath. They offered him a spot to publish his story. They did what he said. They fired the bad man. Because a psychopath wanted them to. This is what collaboration is. This is what collaboration looks like. It's not just turning a blind eye. Turning a blind eye is part of collaboration, but it's not all of it. This is actively succoring evil. Actively doing it with pleasure. I need to stop lunging at you every time I do this. I get so excited. I'm like, especially when I criticize other people doing that. I'm such a hypocrite. So I leave you with these questions. Are you going to collaborate? What will you do if this happens to someone that you know? Will you say anything in her defense? Will you take a hit to your own personal reputation in order to defend him from an unfair accusation? Will you risk it and stand up and scream when some violent lunatic tries to destroy your colleagues or your friends? Have you actually asked yourself these questions explicitly? If you haven't, I think you should. Do you know the answer? See you next week.